Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require any assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Dietmar, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's program, Progress in the Treatment of Multimyeloma, and this is part one of Living with Multimyeloma. And um, today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, GlaxoSmithKline, an independent educational grant from Janssen Biotech, Inc., administrative administered by Janssen Biotech Affairs, LLC. I really like to thank um, them for their support of not only this program, but the series and for many other programs we do as well. Um, and we have wonderful participants on the, te on the call today. We have over 213 participants on this program today. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities, so all over the United States. And we also have international participants from Australia, Canada, India, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And um, we also have uh, terrific speakers on the call today. Um, and before I introduce our speakers, I just want to ask you all just a few questions before, um, before um, we start with our speakers. And um, the reason I ask you these questions is that we are planning many programs for 2022 this year, actually, our new year. And to some extent, um, your responses will help us to keep these programs most relevant to meet your needs. That's really what our goal is. And, and having immediate feedback from you during the program, before the program, and then really helps us to have a better sense of what, we're, what you need, actually, from us. So I'm going to start with our first question. And for those of you who are live streaming the program, you'll be able to see the questions. And I'll, I'll be reading the questions, but you'll also be able to read them and rate them. So on a scale of 1 to 5, with 1 the highest rating and 5 the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand progress in the treatment of multimyeloma, including new treatment approaches and clinical trial updates. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the current standard of care, including quality of life concerns and how to reduce bone complications. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the role of transplantation in the treatment of multimyeloma, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two more questions. I understand how to prevent and manage treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort and pain in the treatment of multimyeloma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be our last question. I understand the important role of clinical trials for multimyeloma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. So I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. It really helps, again, will help us um, moving forward as we plan programs. And now it is my pleasure to move forward and introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Matthew Butler, Dr. Butler's Assistant Professor of Medicine, Division of Hematology Oncology, Department of Medicine, Mays MD Anderson Cancer Center, UT Health San Antonio. And Dr. Butler will be addressing discussion of the progress in the treatment of myeloma in the context of COVID-19 and its variants current standard of care, including clinical trial updates, new treatment approaches, and the role of transplantation. 
It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Butler. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I, I really enjoy being part of these. I, I hope it's useful to people. Um, and so thanks, Carolyn, for organizing this and making it possible. Um, virtually everything nowadays uh, has to be put in the context of COVID-19 because it's it's changed so much for all of us. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we now have some hindsight so we can look back on two years ago when this was we were first faced with this um it, you know it it really everything that that we were doing and 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 most people were doing ground to a halt we weren't weren't sure what we could do safely um treatments were delayed uh clinical trials were put on hold um and uh and there was just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fear uh and then the process the progress over the last couple of years has been figuring out uh that we really can do the things we need to do for our myeloma patients uh we can give them the treatments they need and we can we can continue to move the 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 field forward and learn how to treat people better uh we just have to make some adjustments and take some precautions um and you know we're all familiar with those the 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 masks and the um you know a big part big thing for us is making sure that people who are sick and could be infectious um aren't in our treatment centers and so we're we're screening for symptoms we're checking temperatures and we're making sure that anyone who's who may be sick that we we get them tested and and um get uh, get that uh, some some clarity about uh, whether they they could be a danger to others. We really aren't seeing people getting COVID uh, in the context of treatment. There's a lot of other places where people are still um, getting the illness, and people with myeloma who do get COVID um, generally do okay. But we know that their the risk is a little higher than for the, the 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 general population, and so the level of precaution we take is a little bit higher as well. Um, the, uh, talking about the, the current standard of care and, and what the current research is, I always try to put that in context for people just of how far we've come. Um, myeloma is a disease that 20 years ago, uh, we were using very toxic chemotherapies and they really didn't do very much. Uh, the, the, the benefits of treatment were small and, uh, and, and the, the drugs were sort of the best we had. And, uh, but but uh, there's been really breathtaking progress, uh, not in any one single breakthrough, but just in this series of new studies being done, new medicines coming along, us learning how to use them and how to combine them. And uh, and that's a process that's just, just continued. Those wheels have turned um, for, for about uh, really, you know, steady progress for 20 years. And there's no signs of that slowing down. Um, so, you know, the... the the standard of care treatment now um, is is excellent, and it, it leads to really good outcomes for many people. And uh, and so we don't need to to think outside to to sort of experimental or emerging treatments, but uh, but we still do because we 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 are constantly trying to to make things better and and to improve on on these treatments. And so there's still active research happening, and there's new drugs in the pipeline. When I when I talk to someone about what, you know being part of a trial and and whether that's something they wish to do, it's a very personal decision. But I always want people to understand that um, in in a disease like multiple myeloma, we don't do placebo controlled trials. That's almost unheard of. 
Um, we don't randomize people to getting either getting a good treatment or not getting a good treatment. What we do is take a, take what we already know is a good treatment, and we try to make it a little bit better, usually by adding a, an extra drug on top of the ones that we were going to give anyway. And then we can compare, and some of those are, are controlled studies, meaning some people get the new drug and some people don't, but everybody gets the standard treatment. Um, and then we look to see, is there any additional benefit on top of that uh, with a new drug? Uh, so we try to make sure that everybody on a trial, no matter how, whether whether they're randomized to one arm or another, and if, if it's even that type of a study, uh, that everyone gets the best treatment we know of and, and, and everyone does well. Um, and uh, so, you know, those those trials have continued and we're still enrolling people, even even with the challenges that we have with COVID. Um, the as, as far as talking about what the updates are, um, that's a really big topic and you can get bogged down really fast. Um, the, the, the general landscape, if you're interested in this research, is that uh, cellular therapies, you'll hear the, the buzzword CAR-T, um, which is uh, basically taking a, a person's own uh, cells, they're part of their immune system cells that we know have the ability to attack cancer, and then modifying those cells to enhance their ability to attack the cancer and then giving them back. And they're, they're the person's own cells, so they're able to live and, and proliferate inside your own body, but they've been modified to make, to make them uh, target the the uh the dangerous cells a little better. Um those tr those treatments have been a, a hot topic of research for several years. They're, the first ones have already been approved by the FDA and uh and they're still refining them and we're we're learning more about how to use them. Um going through a treatment like that is a big deal. It's a it's it's a time commitment and um it, only certain centers can do it. So the really exciting things that are, are coming on the horizon are um, another class of medicines that's much easier to give, that's much more like conventional treatment, but that may have some of the same benefits. Uh, we call them bispecific antibodies. So we take uh, antibody proteins. Again, these are proteins uh, that, that your own body makes. They're, they're, it's, it, we're working with the immune system more and more um, in treating cancers instead of trying to you know, use toxic drugs that are very foreign to your body. We try to modify what's already there and what already works. Um, so these bispecific antibodies try to uh, to target or, or stick to or seek out um, the, the, the myeloma cells, but then they also draw in the immune cells. So instead of modifying um, uh, an immune system cell in the lab, we just uh, give a protein that can attract that cell and, and sort of show it the cancer that we want it to attack. Um, and and the results from these kind of treatments are really promising, and uh, we hope that we start to see some of them approved this year. Right now, they're still only available in clinical trials, um, but they're uh, they're they're probably going to be the next big development. Um, but uh, you know, this is just the latest in a long line of innovations and of new drugs, and and the list of of treatments that we have for myeloma is, is growing so long that it's hard to even keep track of, of what our options are. And the challenge for someone like me is to, is to 
is uh, is to know which treatments to choose and which ones to use first and which ones to save for later. It's a sequencing problem. It's not a. It's it's a, it's rarely a question of running out of of good things to try because we have so many. Um, probably the oldest treatment that we use for myeloma that's still actively and is still an important part of what we do um, is. Uh, stem cell transplants, stem cell transplantation. Um, so I, I won't go into the, all the details of what that entails, um, but it's uh, it's been around for a long time, and we've known that it works. There's an ongoing debate about whether we might be able to just stop doing it because we have so many other things that we can use. But the consensus still is that it, it, it does add important benefit. It helps uh, remission. If we can get someone to a remission, which we often can, it helps those remissions last longer than they could otherwise, um, and sometimes remarkably long. Um, and so uh, it's a little bit of uh, inconvenience up front. You spend some time in the hospital to go through a stem cell transplant, um, but uh, with the, the, the benefits can can make that more than worth it. So it's still an important treatment. It's not mandatory. Some people are not able to, to do it or, or choose not to do it, um, and uh, and those people have lots of other options too. But um, but uh, it, it it is useful, and I, I still regularly uh, send people for it, and uh, and I see people do just great and and, um, and come out the other side you know feeling better than they than they did before so um, so it, it it's a complex landscape and you can't learn about it all in, in one call um, but the, the 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 high level view is that uh, you know this is an area where that the whole system of researching and, and developing drugs and uh, and and doing clinical studies uh, has really led to some some um, exciting results and and made life better for for folks who are unlucky enough to get this disease, and uh, and that's still happening. And so being part of that by by being you know getting the kind of latest emerging treatments through a clinical study is uh, is something that some people really find rewarding, and and I, I encourage people to think about it. Um, and um you know we're we're doing that and and not letting covid uh stand in our way so um and i'll i'm happy to answer any questions that that come up but i i don't want to eat too much into the time that the other um doctors have to talk Thank you so much, Dr. Butler. That was really an excellent uh, outstanding presentation and a great way to start the program today. a lot of optimism and a lot of um information about all the uh, choices of treatments that people have um, to discuss with their healthcare team. So thank you. Um, and our next speaker is Dr. Andrew Yee. Dr. Yee is instructor in medicine, Harvard Medical School, Center for Multimyeloma, Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center. And Dr. Yee will be addressing preventing and managing treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain in the context of COVID-19 experience, reducing complications of bone disease, the increasing role of telehealth telemedicine appointments in the context of COVID-19 experience, and a roadmap to prepare for telehealth telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Yee. Oh, hi, everyone, and thank you, uh, Carolyn, for the introduction and for uh, inviting me to uh, participate. I think these are always uh, great ways to, to share um, our 
excitement about taking care of patients with multiple myeloma and hopefully to cover uh, questions and topics that, you know, patients may not have a, have a chance to ask, you know, when, with, with their visits with their providers since there's so many things to talk about. And, and a lot of times patients probably have all these questions that come up after they go home. <laughs> so, um, so, so, the, uh, so I just wanted to start off and, and say I agree with everything with what Dr. Butler was saying, that there, there is so much uh, new activity, better, more effective, better tolerated treatment options in multiple myeloma. So the field is, is really exciting and very promising. And um, with those treatments, what I, what I was asked to talk about was how do we think about managing the side effects and how do we uh, and the, improve your quality of life. Since at the end of the day, with these treatments, you want people to, to not only live longer, we want them to live better. And part of living better is for the treatments to be as well tolerated um, as possible. And, and I, I agree that most of these, uh, you know, the, the treatments we have now are, are much better tolerated than the treatments that were available 20 years ago, but they, they still do have side effects for patients uh, should be um, aware of. So, I think maybe I could just start off by talking through some of the more common side effects associated with drugs that are um, that you know that are commonly used for for that some patients who are listening may already be familiar with. So things I think about would be, you know, for example, lenalidomide or Revlimid is a drug that's commonly used for newly diagnosed patients, and some of the side effects I think about that are you know we generally talk about. You know, risks of like some of the side effects I think of off the bat would be risk of blood clot, and and that risk of blood clot could be mainly a blood clot in the leg, for example, which can also be a pulmonary embolism. And the way the best way to manage that risk would be to use an aspirin to help prevent those blood clots. So that's that's why we typically use aspirins to help prevent risk of blood clot with drugs like lenalidomide or pomalidomide. Now. Longer term, patients on drugs like lenalidomide that can be associated with uh, loose stools, and that's something that doesn't necessarily come up as much when patients are starting it, but as people are on it longer, and maybe when they're just taking it by itself, I think loose stools can be uh, not uncommon side effects. So I think in my practice, in my experience, I'd say you know, a third of patients have no issues, and the third, it can be something that comes up, and then for another third, it's much more of a major issue. And ways to address that would be typically, um, you know, you can use over-the-counter drugs like uh, uh, loperamide, also known as Imodium, and that, that works for a fair majority of patients. Um, some patients find that if you take a, a, a stool bulking agent like Metamucil, that can help too with help decreasing the urgency. Now, now, for some patients where um, you know the modium isn't sufficient, then there are drugs like cholestopol or cholestyramine. These are drugs that bind to bile salts, and for some reason, lenalidomide ha- happens to alter how bile salts are handled in your in your small intestine. And by binding those bile salts, that can really help. So for some patients, um, this taking the cholestopol on a daily basis can be can be really helpful, and, and sometimes it may cause constipation. Now, very rarely, I'd say a small proportion of patients, the, the loose stools are so problematic that they have to think about trying some alternative to lenalidomide. Um, the second drug that patient, many patients are on would be drugs like 
bortezomib, also known as Velcade. And the major side effects that I think about for that that, get, that I get concerned about would be a peripheral neuropathy, which is numbness and tingling, which typically starts in the feet. And when patients first start on this drug, it generally is not so much of an issue, but over time it can kind of sneak up on you. And so that's why when patients are on this therapy, I always try to be mindful to ask about if patients are having numbness and tingling. And actually the best way of approaching that would be minimizing the dose of the drug or, or changing the frequency of the drug. And typically I try to approach it that way or because we also have alternatives to that as well. So so patients don't, I mean, in the past, when there weren't that many alternatives, there would be more use of supportive medications to help people stay on the treatment. But now my practice has been to try to, A, lower the dose, or if that doesn't work, B, find the alternative, because there are alternatives to using that. And there's also um, risk of, uh, of shingles as well, and that's why patients are typically on drugs like acyclovir or equivalent valacyclovir to help minimize that risk of shingles. Uh, another side effect that patients may or may not appreciate would be rarely sometimes people can have complications related to be called blepharitis, which is, um, you know, it, it can have like styes or uh, it's around the eyelids. And that usually is managed by uh, keep close attention uh, by forearm compresses and or holding the medication. And then... Um, and then there's that dexamethasone or, or decadron, which I think of all the drugs that we give, you know, I think this is the drug that patients complain about the most. And and because it, some patients, they, you know, some patients can feel great on it, and then some patients don't like it at all. And it can be really hard to predict which patients have which side effects. So, um I, so the way we approach that is that, is that typically we, that, that can be managed by dose reductions in the dexamethasone and or spacing it or maybe giving it over more days. But I think of all the drugs we give, I think so, for example, uh, patients say they're really tired at the end. Sometimes that can be because of the dexamethasone, they get this burst of energy and then they feel depleted afterwards. So for some patients, we can help manage that with by adjusting the dose of the dexamethasone. Um, now, in terms of the... Um, other important part of supportive care for patients with multiple myeloma, we also talk about using uh, like bone strengtheners because, as as some patients may know, the multiple myeloma how they how they were diagnosed is because the myeloma caused a fracture in the bone or caused bone pain. So, a common drugs that we typically use to strengthen the bone would be drugs like zoledronic acid, also known as Zometa, or um, or, or denosumab, also known as Exgeva. And these drugs are already approved for use in osteoporosis, but they're used at lower doses. And so these are pretty commonly given about uh, once a month. And some a choice of one versus the other, you know, usually it would defer to your 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 healthcare team. And the main, for the majority of patients, these are drugs that without any issue. But the things we do think about would be, you know, osteonecrosis of the jaw, and that's a situation where. There can be an area where there's uh, in the in the mouth of the jaw where there is inadequate healing, and that can mainly be we see that more commonly. If it were to happen, it's generally after having a major dental procedure. And when I think of major dental procedure, I usually think of like a tooth extraction or having an implant placed. So anything that involves like more invasive like a, a tooth extraction, then typically we try to hold that medication for about three months. 
actually four or three months uh, afterwards and three months afterwards. So that's why it's really important to let your team know if, if anything bothers you in the jaw or the mouth or if you're about to have major dental work. Now, routine uh, procedures like cleanings or fillings or root canals, this isn't so much of an issue. Um, now, you know, one thing that, as, as Dr. Butler's talked about, you know, he was talking about COVID-19, another thing that we've appreciated is that we're using a lot more telemedicine. And I think that's been a really important part of for, for patients who, for in terms of maintaining continuity of care or for patients who have trouble getting in or weather-related, I think it has other benefits too. And I think, you know, I think what's really important is, um, you know, being able to, to I, I, is to at least know what you're going to, for patients to have an, a list of things that they want to talk about before during their appointments and also trying to familiar, familiar, familiarize yourself um with, you know, I, I think a common application would be, you know, using Zoom and trying to have some familiar, familiar, familiarity with that or, or at least figuring out how to, you know, connect, connecting the audio because I think that does come up to be uh, a, pro, a, a, a potential problem. But for, for the majority of the time, I think that for us, the telemedicine visits have been a great way for, for, as a, for substituting for, for in-person visits. But I also do agree that sometimes there is, uh, an in-person visit can be really helpful if you have a particular uh, symptom, like a bone pain or something that it's really helpful to be able to see in person or a rash, for example. Um, now, I think um, uh, I think I think maybe my time is up, and I'll uh, I'll pass on to uh, to Carolyn. Thank thank you, everyone. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Yi. That was an, an outstanding presentation and covering a lot of things that, of course, are of concern to participants on the call today. So I thank you very much for your presentation. Lots of good information for everybody. Um, and our next speaker um, is Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell. And Dr. O'Donnell is the Director of Lifestyle Medicine, um, Massachusetts General Hospital, Associate Director, Mass General Cancer Center's Survivorship Program, Medical Oncologist, Multimyeloma, Massachusetts General Hospital, Assistant Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. O'Donnell will be addressing talking with your treating team about quality of life concerns, scheduling follow-up appointments, and lifestyle, physical activity, and balance concerns with practical tips and guidelines. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. O'Donnell. Thank you so much, Carolyn, and thank you to everybody uh, who's joined us today, and, and I really appreciate the wonderful presentations of my colleagues. So today I'm going to talk about quality of life um, and really kind of dive into some of the things that don't necessarily um, get the airtime in our visits that maybe patients would hope. Um, you know, I know as a, as a busy provider uh, that sometimes most of our, our, our sessions, whether they be 20 minutes or half hour, are spent talking about, you know, specifically the myeloma or the medications. And that small 20 to 30 minutes is just a tiny fraction of patients' entire lives and all that goes on that is affected uh, by their multiple myeloma. And here at our cancer center, we recently completed and are pub have published a study looking at the effects of myeloma on, on patients' quality of life and their caregivers' quality of life. And what we learned is that the levels of depression and anxiety are of clinically significant depression and anxiety are quite high, about a quarter to a third of patients. 
and their caregivers. And in fact, sometimes anxiety is higher in caregivers than the patients themselves when they're compared. And why is that? Because a cancer diagnosis doesn't just live inside the cancer center. It really affects so many different parts of our lives. It's our relationships, whether we are the patient or the caregiver. It's, you know, whether or not you can work um, and all of the circumstances of your lives. And I think it's been amplified by two years of a pandemic uh, that uniquely affects cancer patients who are um, more immunocompromised than the general population. So all in all, quality of life is something that can be impaired in patients and their caregivers with myeloma and something that your team who's taking care of you, whether it be the, the doctors, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, your infusion uh, nurses, they want to know about. Um, you know, there are resources uh, within a lot of cancer centers, such as social work or psychosocial oncology. There are support groups, not only within institutions, but there are um, support groups, you know, that cancer care can certainly talk about, uh, and some of the different uh, myeloma and hematologic malignancy foundations try to support. Um, and, you know, finding community and finding a voice uh, to talk about the impacts of quality of life and mood um, within a multiple myeloma diagnosis are so important. And so then the question becomes, what can you do to improve your quality of life and your mood? Um, and, you know, one element that has been studied and shown to be of benefit um, are lifestyle considerations, and specifically physical activity, nutrition. Um, these can improve mood. Uh, and improve outlook. You know, myeloma is uniquely challenged in that many of our patients have bone-related disease that can limit physical activity. And so, you know, the definition of physical activity is very broad. It does not mean that you have to go out and run the Boston Marathon. Uh, it can be purposeful movement that gets your heart rate up. And, you know, that can be stationary, that can be non-weight-bearing, uh, but it also can be true exercise, um, and physical activity, if you have myeloma and you have bone-related disease, it's best to talk to your medical oncologist before you start a weight-bearing exercise regimen. But, you know, things like yoga um, can generally be done in, you know, easy, medium, and hard varieties. Um, and there are a lot of other types of exercise that can be available uh, in kind of those different categories as well. And, you know, something I say on a lot of these calls is don't underestimate the, po the power of just turning on some music and dancing around your house. Gets your heart rate up, improves your mood, probably improves the mood of everybody else in your household. So there are some fun, easy things that don't involve um, going out uh, outdoors if it's cold or to a gym where uh, that may be dangerous to a myeloma patient. And so thinking broadly and also asking your doctor about whether or not you can incorporate physical therapy as part of your treatment plan. So any cancer-related fatigue or deconditioning is something that can be billed to one's insurance. And so almost all myeloma patients should qualify for um, uh, physical therapy with their insurance if that's something that helps uh, both work around any myeloma-related um, issues and also can provide the support and guidance of someone to whom physical activity may not be familiar. One of the other elements uh, of physical activity is balance. And so uh, 
um, the last thing we want in a myeloma patient is for someone to fall. And particularly as we get older, we lose a lot of our lean muscle mass. And specifically, we lose the muscles that help stabilize our pelvis, putting us at greater risk of fall as we age. So when we think about what the guidelines are, the recommendations for physical activity, it can be quite ambitious, 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity. So it's about a half an hour, five days a week. But the other critical component of that uh, are strength-directed exercises two days per week. And I think most people can do some of these types of exercises. They don't need weights. Uh, and they don't need to be weight-bearing that would help improve some of those stabilizer muscles and help patients protect themselves from falls and subsequent injuries. Your team uh, at your cancer center might be able to help guide you or find your resources um, on the Internet. There's a lot of free content available on the Internet for exercise, for yoga, um, to help support patients as they go through their cancer journey. Even on the MGH website, we have free exercise videos um, to anybody who should want to use them. They're on YouTube as well. There are lots of resources like this um, that recognize cancer patients um, may need unique guidance um, in terms of physical activity. And nutrition is another big consideration. There's no formal diet recommendation for a multiple myeloma patient, but there are some good health practices that are recommended by the American Cancer Society trying to maximize the consumption of fruits and vegetables, a plant-based diet, limiting the consumption of red meat no more than once per week, and really trying to limit the consumption of refined sugars, so white sugars, white flours, um, and again, focusing on whole grains um, and less processed food uh, is a general lifestyle um, recommendation. Another important pillar of lifestyle is sleep. It is often under-talked about when we think about patients' quality of life uh, in multiple myeloma medications, and specifically the dexamethasone are known to cause sleep disruption. And when Dr. Yu talked about a, the thirds rule for patients having issues with Revlimid uh, and their bowels, I would say the same is true of sleep. About a third of patients are not particularly affected by their dexamethasone. A third are to a moderate degree. And then there are those for whom it truly causes significant insomnia. It's really important to communicate with your provider if you're having significant insomnia during your cancer treatment. Dexamethasone is a very important part of how we treat uh, multiple myeloma. However, we do have some latitude in the dosing, also the time of day of the dosing, making sure you're taking it first thing in the morning with food so that it may not keep you up at night as badly. There are other tips and tricks um, that people can employ if they're struggling with insomnia, setting a bedtime routine, getting off screens. That blue light um, can block the production of melatonin, a hormone that helps put our body to sleep, a naturally occurring one. Um, and also even some meditation techniques can be very useful uh, to patients who may be struggling with insomnia. One of the other pillars of lifestyle medicine is relationships. Um, and it's important to be connected to people. Uh, it's very hard to go through a cancer diagnosis. It's even harder to go through it alone. Uh, it's important to you know, reach out to people, let them know um, that you need help or, or just want some companionship. Uh, these are the things that help make life more livable for everybody, uh, not just cancer patients. Uh, and it's important to, to have a, you know, the, 
have a strong network um, of, of caregivers and friends uh, with whom you can go through this experience. It's been very hard, I think, for patients and caregivers uh, during the pandemic because people are cut off from socializing. Uh, and I think that that has been one of the most significant challenges for many people uh, who are immunocompromised during this pandemic. So finding ways to connect with people, whether it be over the telephone or over Zoom, can hopefully help boost mood um, and improve the disease journey. The last point I've been asked to talk about is scheduling follow-up care appointments. Um, you know, very often patients are seen uh, weekly during their myeloma therapy for the administration of their treatments. Uh, when you're in a maintenance phase, um, sometimes those visits are less frequent, particularly now uh, with virtual visits and um, a lot of the uh, COVID-related uh, challenges to hospital. It's important to be um, your own best advocate and uh, making sure your appointments get scheduled, making sure there's the right amount of time to discuss your concerns. If you, for example, have something you want to talk about that time hasn't allowed for, asking that the next visit be a little bit longer so you make sure all your concerns are addressed. Your team of doctors and nurses uh, really care about you and want to give you the best possible care that they can. And so just uh, open lines of communication really do help everybody, the patients, the caregivers, and the providers. Um, thank you so much for your attention. It's been my pleasure uh, to participate in this teleconference, and I look forward to hearing your questions. Back to you, Carolyn. Thank uh, you. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. O'Donnell. That was really wonderful. It's just uh, such an uh, important um, part of this program in the sense that uh, it is, as you said, um, these are topics that often people may not have as much time to discuss with their treating healthcare team. And so um, it's wonderful that you've brought this up. And I hope people will, after the program, um, actually follow up with some of your suggestions. Um, some of them are really quite lovely. I just turn on some music. Um, and. Uh, can I just move a little bit? That might be very nice to do, honestly. Okay, um, thank you. And um, I'm going to just say a few words about Cancer Care. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. And I really want to talk about the free programs and services that Cancer Care offers and also um, that many nonprofit organizations offer in addition to your healthcare team, of course. It's not to, um, they're more of a more a complement to your healthcare team because your healthcare team already has a number of different disciplines that can help you. So you might say, what do we do? So first of all, we do have a, a, um, a, a number, a hotline, 800-813-4673. Uh, and for those of you who prefer to visit our website and post your question there, it's www.cancercare.org. Either way, and you'll be getting any information that we gave during the program when you get the Survey Monkey from us at the end of the program, you'll be getting, actually probably tomorrow, you'll be getting um, uh, uh, the resources that I, any resources that we mentioned. Um, so our, our um, hotline, our hope line is answered by our oncology social workers. We have about 35 of them on staff, and usually when people call us, they have a particular question or concern that they immediately um, identify. And then our staff, of course, spend time trying to help them with that, um, recognizing that they may require follow-up appointments and things like that. Again, all these services are free, and so the follow-up appointments would be would include um, financial and co-payment assistance. Um, we recognize that people have tremendous financial need um, with uh, multiple myeloma with any cancer, and also um, so that's been a part of our. Uh, 
services that we've offered for over 75 years, I would say. Um, that's how, how old Cancer Care is. Um, and we also um, offer um, case management services. So if for some reason we don't have the resource, we're going to take you virtually to an organization that has those resources, connect you up with them, be sure that need is met, and keep working with you until we get that need met. Sometimes it's, it's uh, food insecurity issues. It may be issues around paying for your home or getting housing, all kinds of questions that people have um, uh, in terms of workplace questions. All, all questions that people have, um, we would try to help connect you with. We also offer online support groups, and people particularly like those because they're not time sensitive in the sense that they, um, once you enroll in one of our online support groups, and we have them on all different topics, all different types of cancers, so multiple myeloma being one of them. We also have particular programs for younger adults, older adults, caregivers. Um, so for all different populations of people, we have um, a, a, an online group, and it's a matter of choosing which one you'd like to participate in and then just letting our staff know that you'd like to participate in an online support group. Um, and there is a, a, a short screening process, but that actually doesn't take very long, and then you're able to join one of our groups um, or get individual support. We also offer these educational workshops. And we also have a number of publications. So that just gives you a thumbnail sketch of some of the services we offer. And again, this is in conjunction with many other organizations out there that also provide support and help to all of you. Now, before we move on to the, um, the Q&A, the questions, so definitely have your questions ready. I see they're coming in already, even though we haven't even described to you how to ask a question. Some of you already know how to. Um, I'm just going to ask you just a few um, more questions um, before we move on to the um, to the uh, Q and A. So, and for those of you who are live streaming, you'll be able to see the questions and you'll be able to rate them and answer them. Um, so, I'm going to read the questions to you. Those of you who are live streaming will be able to then uh, rate these questions. So, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of progress in the treatment of multiple myeloma, including new treatment approaches and clinical trial updates. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the current standard of care, including quality of life concerns and how to reduce bone complications. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of the role of transplantation in the treatment of multiple myeloma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And now just two questions left. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with the healthcare team and follow their tips to prevent and manage treatment side effects, symptoms, Discomfort and pain in the, con in, the, in the treatment of multiple myeloma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of participating in clinical trials for a multiple myeloma. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. Again, I want to thank all of you who participated in these questions. Um, it really will help us um, understand um, what you've learned in this program today and in our planning future programs, what your needs might be. And now we have time for questions. I'm going to ask you tomorrow to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible, and Dee tomorrow will explain to all of you how to queue up for questions.
Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star to the number one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And um, we have a question from our online participants, and this will be um, for Dr. Butler. Um, this question is, um, can you address how vision and hearing may be affected by multiple armor? Uh, sure. I, I, that's not one of the common things we see. So, um, uh, Dr. Yi talked about the, uh, the sensory, um, effects, you know, the numbness, the tingling, the burning sensations. These are well-known side effects of, uh, some of our treatment drugs. Um, I have seen uh, changes in both hearing and vision, which I, I thought were similar ty types of side effects. All these are, you know, part of the nervous system and they, they, the nerves are, are, can be um, impaired by our drugs. And, um, and so I've seen those, but I, I certainly haven't seen them commonly. When we see anything like that, any new neurologic symptom, we, we stop the drug that we think contributes to it. And we give it time, and generally, if you're patient, you you, you uh, see the symptom get better. It just happens slowly in some cases. Um, myeloma directly affecting hearing or vision is is really quite rare. Um, you know, the 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 disease can, in principle, grow just about anywhere in your body, um, and depending on where that happens, you can have just about any symptom you can name. Um, but there are certain things that myeloma tends to do, and uh, and, and hearing and vision um, deficits are not among them. Um, you know, we we commonly see pain in bones, um, in the back, in the ribs, in the you know other bones. Um, and we see fatigue, and we see um, you know uh, there's there's a list of of common uh, symptoms, and then there's rare, and I would put those in the rare category. Thank you. And, and the only thing I would add to that um, is that the medicine dexamethasone over time, and we use dexamethasone so frequently, does lead to the development of cataracts. Um, and so, you know, both by age, but also probably because of the dexamethasone um, use over time, we do see an increased incidence of cataracts um, in our patients. So, thank you. And that would be something that people mm -hmm. could then... That's fixable, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I've Good. had numerous uh, patients with myeloma who have ha needed to have cataract surgery, and they always ask me if that's okay, and I say, sure. There's there's uh, no 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 reason why you can't have um, that problem corrected by an ophthalmologist uh, if if you need to. We would just put your your treatment on hold for a little while while you do it, and um, pick up where we left off. Excellent. Thank you. Good question and great answers. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Very helpful. I hope to everybody. Um, so um, this is for Dr. O'Donnell. How can I stay active at home or at the lowest risk of contracting COVID-19? Yeah. So it, it depends a little bit where you live temperature-wise. I'm up here in Boston. So, you know, right now I think the high is in the 20s and it's kind of a combination of rain and sleep. So not a great day to go outside, but I think if you're somewhere where the climate is hospitable, 
um, being outside as much as you can. You're at low COVID risk. Uh, it's good for, you know, your mood to get outside, to move, to be around, uh, you know, greenery, basically. And then there's a lot that's available online. So, it, you know, if you go on your computer and onto YouTube, there is a tremendous amount of free content uh, for exercise. There are a number of apps, including the 7-Minute app. Um, you know, there, there are extensive resources that are available for free that can provide in-home uh, exercise options, yoga options, Zumba, things like that. Um, so, you know, you could definitely look into that resource. Excellent. Thank you. And um, um, and a great another question for Dr. Um, Butler. My wife is on Belcade and Exiva, and why do, why do her bones ache so badly? Good question. It's one of the ironies of drugs like Exiva. They strengthen the bones. In the long run, they help to prevent bones from breaking, and and uh, and they well, should help with the really kind of severe pain that that you know some patients with myeloma can have to deal with. But in the short run, they definitely cause bone pain. This is it's it's well known. There are ways that you can uh, try to to. Uh, deal with that uh, as it's happening. Um, it should be temporary, though. It should be with each treatment. Y you know, you may may ache for a day or two, and it should go away. If it's not going away, then I would I would not want to just assume that it's because of the drug. I would want to look and and see if there are you know bone lesions or, or something you know more serious happening. But. Um, there are a few options for bone strengtheners. Exgiva is one, but but Zometa is also commonly used. And so, if someone has a side effect on one of those, I often just switch to the other one and see if that helps. Um, and then, uh, you know, we we treat the, the symptom. We just try to keep people comfortable. And um, and then the final thing I do is, after you've had. Uh, a good cumulative amount of those medicines, I start to space out the time between doses. Initially, we do it quite intensively. We do it about once every four weeks. Um, and we don't know exactly how long we need to do that and when, when we get re reach a threshold point as far as how much benefit it has. But certainly, I don't I don't keep doing it monthly for years. Uh, I, I, after the first year, I start to think about, can we do it a little less often? Um, and that that's more convenient, but if it's also you know helps helps to have if if you have to deal with a side effect, at least you don't have to deal with it um, qu quite as re regularly. Thank you. And uh, for Dr. O'Donnell, um, um, what is the cause of persistent backache following kyphoplasty from myeloma relapse with pathological bone vertebral fracture lesions? Yeah, so that can be just the ongoing pain um, of the actual injury. When when you do kyphoplasty, at least at our institution, you know, our uh, interventional radiologists say, you know, they can probably get you to 80% um, of what you were at. Um, you know, the other thing that happens is when you fix one vertebrae, um, you know, it can cause, you can see that there are other vertebrae that are affected, you know, by definition, if you've had one uh, compression fracture, you're at risk for others. Um, so you would definitely want to evaluate for new evidence in different vertebrae of compression fractures. And then finally, um, 
if you think about your vertebrae as a column and the muscles that are on either side as the supporting structures, uh, when you change the alignment of the vertebrae, it can, it can throw off uh, the musculature leading to muscle spasm that can be quite painful. Um, so I would certainly talk to your doctor if you're having ongoing pain, and I would also consider physical therapy. And could you define what kyphoplasty is in case some people don't know? So sure. That? So kyphoplasty is a procedure that's done in interventional radiology for vertebrae that have um, compressed or collapsed. And uh, usually we only do it in the circumstance where people have significant, you know, level seven or eight plus out of 10 pain. Um, and what we do is a needle is, in, is inserted into the vertebrae and either a balloon is then inflated and cement filled within it to re kind of uh, inflate the vertebrae or cement is injected uh, directly into the vertebrae to stabilize it. Um, and again, I don't ever think that there's a promise of perfection or a complete alleviation of pain. Sometimes we get it, but generally, you know, we tell people 80% chance of getting you down to a three out of 10. So yeah, like so many things that we have, uh, kyphoplasty is really wonderful for some people, and it does, and it's not as helpful for others. And uh, we don't, we don't, can't always predict who is going to get the most benefit. Um, but it's it's one of the one of our tools that we have to try, and it's worth a try. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it's not 100% reliable as a way to relieve pain. Thank you. Um, and um, a question for Dr. Butler. What is a free light chain? What is its significance in monitoring multiple myeloma? Good question. So uh, the, the cells that uh, become cancerous in myeloma are cells that are where our body has uh, to make antibodies. There's reasons why those cells in particular are prone to becoming cancerous, but um but uh the the uh be- way we measure myeloma for most people is by measuring proteins that the cells make even though they're no longer normal healthy antibody making cells it doesn't mean they stop producing these proteins that's part that's part of their nature um but there's different uh different ways that we measure that and there's different um forms that myeloma can take sometimes it's it's whole protein it's whole antibodies um and uh, an antibody is composed of light chains and heavy chains stuck together and uh and for some reason some people some people's myeloma cells stop making the heavy chains and they only make the light chains the light chains are smaller protein pieces and so they're easier to make so as the cell starts to break down i guess it it it's still it's more likely to to continue that behavior Free late chains can be uh, dangerous in their own right. They can contribute to problems in the kidneys and uh, and uh, protein deposits called amyloid. But for most patients, they don't really do anything. All they do is give us a, a way to measure your myeloma. And for some people, they're the, the most useful measurement. And other people have other proteins that we measure. Uh, and the, the free light chains are just kind of a... A secondary thing to keep an eye on. Um, so, uh, you know, interpreting any any myeloma patient's labs, um, it, I, I really need to go back to what proteins were seen initially when they first got sick, 
Um, and then that'll, that gives me a clue of what to look for. And if it, if it was a light chain myeloma, then I look at the light chain levels and compare them to, to where we started to see how we're doing. And if it's a, um, an, another uh, subtype of myeloma, like IgG kappa myeloma or IgA lambda, um, then those are different measurements that, that I can look at. So it's not that one one type is any worse than any other. It just it, 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 there are different um, uh, types of myeloma that that, that uh, we monitor in different ways with our, our blood work. Thank you. Well, I want to thank our speakers. This has been really a phenomenal call. I have to say that uh, both our speakers have been terrific. Um, the people who have asked such wonderful questions online, they've been wonderful questions. And um, I know that we could go on um, for quite a bit more time this afternoon, but we said this would be an hour workshop. So I want to thank all of you for participating. And I do, um, and I also want to um, also thank our speakers, of course. And I want to say a few words to all of you um, about um, what to do um, about the questions you may still have, because I know there are many of you who still have questions, and um, I don't want them to be left um, unattended. So first of all, if you asked a question, if you still have a question that you weren't able to ask, or if you have a question that you're thinking of wanting to ask, please, all three, of, all three groups, please go back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best, and the information you've learned today, we hope, will help you to ask more informed questions of your healthcare team and also help you feel more confident in asking those questions of your healthcare team because you already got some information, but we'd like that information to be tailored to each of you. So your healthcare team and your healthcare team um, are available. Of course, you have uh, all the medical personnel in your healthcare team and your healthcare team also consists of people who may be able to help you with financial concerns, with emotional and social concerns, so there are oncology nurses, oncology social workers, there are patient navigators, financial specialists on that team as well. So in your health setting, there's a lot of other people who can assist you as well. And of course, you can always contact Cancer Care if when you do that and you don't get any of those. If you still need help, you certainly can call um, Cancer Care. Most importantly, I would not want any one of you to leave today's program feeling you're alone. I want you to know that you're now part of a community of support not only from Cancer Care, but there are a host of other organizations that we also can refer you to um, that can meet your needs as well as your healthcare team. So although it is, of course, um, depending on where you are in the country, I think um, in some areas it's very cold. In some places the temperature is quite lovely. Um, but nevertheless, um, with uh, COVID in different regions of the country and world being more active in other areas, in some areas than others, but nevertheless, with everyone sort of being aware of this um, experience out there, that people tend to feel a little bit more alone, um, that there are certain things that you perhaps used to do that you can't do quite as frequently as you used to. Um, and so um, I want you to know that we're, you're simply a phone call or a mouse click away on your computer from getting support, joining a support group, talking to someone who could help you, um, and cutting through some of that, and also using these technologies as well to connect with your um, family and friends or with new friends through online support groups and things like that and peer support groups. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day. <laughs>